0: Okay. So we are on chapter 21. I don't know how this happened, but I missed the last section of chapter 20 last week. Um, I don't know. I just totally spaced it. So it's actually, um, not really a problem because remember how I said chapter 20 and 21 really, really go together. So the last section of chapter 20 is exactly where we pick up in chapter 21. So we're just going to include it like it's one chapter, but just know that if you're like looking back and you're being like, oh, chapter 20 ended off with this concept and we didn't do that. You know why? Because I don't know what happened. I looked at the Tanya and I'm like, I looked at chapter 21. I'm like, wait a second. We did not talk about this last week. And I'm like, oh, I missed the whole section. So we're going to do it now. But okay, so I like to give a heads up, um, especially during these chapters, 18 to 26, where they're a little bit more philosophical. And we're talking about the oneness and the unity and the non-duality of Hashem. Definitely harder concepts. Even I, like while I'm preparing, I find myself struggling a little bit um, with really fully grasping these concepts. And we say that really, we can't ultimately, we can't really fully grasp the concept of an infinity because we're finite. Um, But I always like to preface with that because we are going to get into some more philosophical ideas here. Remember, it's only for an end goal. And I will remind you that the end goal that we're doing in this section of chapters is we want to create an emotion instantly. Okay. And that's what we're trying to do here. Before we said, in order to create emotion, we have to meditate on certain things, which allows us to create an emotion. And then we had a question and we said, well, what if we need the emotion right now? Meditation is a long journey. Remember, this is meditation is not instant. What if we need to create an emotion for God instantly? So 18 to 26 is talking about this concept of creating an emotion for Hashem at the drop of a dime. And what did we say? What is this? What is this? how are we going to create this emotion? Because we have a inheritance from Hashem, from our forefathers, which is Ahava Mesutaris, which is this latent love that we can employ at the drop of a hat. Really this Ahava Mesutaris, where do we see this being employed um, practic- practically is when a person is test of, of uh, Faith is tested, then the Ava Musiteris comes up, and a person who's even non-observant, a non-believer, or non-practicing Jew can give their life up for Hashem. We said, oh, okay, that's very nice, but we don't live our life with the constant threat of non-existence, right? So how is this practical for our day-to-day life? How do we create an emotion? for our day-to-day life and which led us into many different ideas of what's a soul right and we compared it to a flame and now we're we're delving into this concept of the non-duality of Hashem the fact that nothing exists outside of Hashem and we were we're, we're digging deep into that but not too deep because remember this is still practical Tanya still wants to keep practical so we're not going as deep as we can, like we do in the second section of Tanya. Um, and we are, last week, we ended off with the analogy of like someone throwing a stone, right? The, the stone only stays in the air as long as that kinetic energy is, is forcing it in the air. When, when that kinetic energy runs out, the stone falls. So the natural state of a stone is not to be in the air, right? So same too with the world. The world only exists because God is constantly recreating the world. If Hashem would cease to want the world to exist, if he would cease creating this world, the world's default state is nothingness. Okay, so if Hashem would stop creating the world, it would cease to exist. The end of chapter 20, we go into another analogy that helps us understand this non-duality nature of the world and that um, and we're going to take an example from the human um, the human psyche or the human example from our human life and this um, analogy is brought to us by the Baal Shem Tov, okay and <clears throat> this is what we're going to do in the end of chapter 20 and through chapter 21. We're going to understand this analogy, pick it apart, say why it makes sense, say why. It doesn't make sense in good Tanya fashion, right? We're going to learn something and we're going to say, wait, how does that make sense? And we're going to pick it apart. So the example is like this. Um, It's the power, It's the we're we're going to be talking about the power of speech. We're going to compare human speech to godly speech, okay? So um, if you think about it, A single word, (coughs) excuse me, is insignificant compared to the soul's power of speech, right? So when you speak, right, when we are expressing a word, it's very insignificant to the power of speech because the power of speech has the ability to create an infinite amount of words, right? So when you compare one word to an infinite amount of words, it's pretty insignificant, correct? um and the same is with thought right like what is the source the source of speech is even in our thought right so when you compare a spoken word to the power of thought and speech it's pretty insignificant okay so um even um as a human right even this is a human example right so even human speech physical speech could be insignificant compared to the power of speech now start comparing it to godly speech right how much more so in godly speech speech right so um, the for god's speech through which the world is created right it's a very good analogy because we're saying that Last week, we ended off saying how God has to constantly recreate the world in order for it to exist. How is God recreating the world? What's the mode of expression God is using to recreate the world? Speech. But I put it in quote unquote, because we're going to learn that divine speech is very different than human speech, right? So um, God's speech through which the world was created and the world is sustained, that, that speech of course, has no significance compared to uh, the source of God's speech, compared to Hashem Himself. Right. So, if we're saying human speech is insignificant com- compared to our source of speech, take godly speech and compare that to God Himself. Of course, that's insignificant. And why? Why are we saying that? Because how was the world created through speech? So, if the world, if speech is insignificant compared to God. A plus B equals C, right? So to the world must be insignificant compared to God because the world is created through speech, okay? So this is adding another dimension to this like non-dual nature of the world. So this non-dual nature of understanding, we're adding another dimension to it. Last week, we focused on one piece and now we're adding inner deeper dimensions to this idea, okay? So, um Previously, we said how the world has no independent existence, right? It can't exist without the constant sus- sustaining speech of God, right? Um, and it's, we're utterly relying on the, the, the will of God wanting the world to exist. And here we're taking it a step further. Even though the divine power that creates the world is of no significance compared to Hashem. We're saying even the divine power that creates the world is insignificant according to Hashem. So last week we were just discussing how the world is insignificant compared to Hashem. Here we're saying the divine power that creates the world, even that is insignificant to Hashem. OK, so you see how we're, we're, we're uncovering layers, like peeling an onion, right? So we get to a certain degree and we, we go further and we will come full circle. So the Tanya describes um, the deep core of who we are. Our deep core, which we talked about many years, many weeks ago, is our 10 soul powers, right? Our Nishama, that's our deep core. It's pre-linguistic, okay? So it means it's, it, it's before the, even the, the thought of speech or anything tangible. So our deep core is pre-lingu- pre-linguistic. So let's, let's delve into this further. The 10 powers of our deep core, right? Which represent our intellectual and our emotional energy. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm having... <coughs> bad allergies this season. Um, Okay. So, um, so our deep core, which represent our intellectual and emotional energy are the driving force between what you think and say. Okay. But in the deep core, there's no actual words. Okay. Or letters. There's no form, right? That only comes later in the garments of thought and speech. Okay. So this is actually a review of like chapter three, chapter four. Let's go back for a second. Remember our 10 soul powers, right? We have three intellectual soul powers and we have seven emotional soul powers. That's the deep core of our soul. Those are the power, powering source of our thought and our speech and our action. But there's no actual words or letters in the deep core. When and so we said, well, how, then how does our neshama, how does our soul express itself? Right? How how do we express ourselves? That's when we learned about the three garments: thought, speech, and action. Those are the modes of expression of our soul. So when our soul ex, our soul expresses its deep core through thought, speech, and action. Okay, so. When you first know or feel something, like when you have a deep craving or desire, right? Or temptation or a feeling of love, right? That originates in your deep core, that originates in your heart, but it has no tangible qualities. It has no words, it's not, it's not processed yet. It's just a desire, okay? So, before that desire goes from your heart to your brain, where you're able to contemplate and process your desire, it doesn't have any tangible components. Okay. And it's just a desire. And have you ever heard of, there's a a Yiddish phrase, right? Um, And I'm going to butcher it. So, I'm not going to say it in Yiddish. But basically, you don't ask questions on a desire, right? Because it's not a tangible thing. Like, if someone like a pregnant woman who says, I want pickles and ice cream, and you go try to ask them why, why do you want that? You can't ask questions on a desire. We actually apply that to Hashem. Hashem's desire is to have a world down here. Eventually, we're going to talk about the fact that we don't ask why on that. It doesn't have to be logical. Hashem has a desire. He wants the world. So that's, that's it. There's no logical explanation to that. So Um, So like, let's say, for example, take ice cream, for example, you once had ice cream, you know that it tastes good and it makes you feel good, right? So the next time you have a desire for ice cream, you want it. it. It's not, it's not a, it's not something that's tangible. It's a desire that you want. Once you take the desire and, you, um, a, and the desire ascends to your brain and then you process, de- process this desire, then you figure out how to get it practically. Well, okay, I need to go to the store. I need to have money. I need to buy the ice cream. How am I going to get to the store? How much money do I need, right? That is when you process and contemplate that desire. But before that desire enters your brain, it's not a tangible thing. You can't ask questions on it. It doesn't have words. It doesn't have letters. It doesn't have a form. Okay. So it's only after that desire goes from your heart to your mind that you basically first of all even recognize it as a desire, and then you have to act on it. Then you can act on your desire, right? Okay. And then you actually have to figure out how to carry out what you deeply want. Okay. So it's only at that point, when your desire enters your mind, that letters start to form. Okay, that's thought, right? So thought, we feel like it's something so intangible, but thought compared to our deep core is very tangible. A thought is tangible. That's when letters start to form in our thought. We think, And we uh, many times we think in words and sentences, right? Then you even express it further than that, that comes that goes into speech. It's even more tangible. But thought is already remember, we set we've spent a lot of time talking about how thoughts and action, right? Thoughts and action because it can start, it can stop, it's it's a thing, it's it's tangible. So once our but our but our desires are not necessarily tangible only once they enter. the hemisphere of our brain where we can now put words to what we actually want, okay? So um, that is basically what we're saying is that thought thought and speech compared to our deep core, is very insignificant because our deep core has the potential for so much. And thought and speech are very limiting, right? When actually we have the ability for infinite thoughts and we have the ability for infinite speech, but when we're actually speaking and when we're actually thinking, that's a very finite thing, Okay, So um, when it's just giving us basically deeper insight into the non-existence of the world compared to Hashem, okay? When we think of the world as a separate existence from Hashem, it's insignificant. It's actually really not, and we're going to get there. But we're comparing the basis idea here Let me just, one second, let me just find my place here. So, it's quantitatively speaking, our thoughts are null and void compared to our deep core. Because quantitatively, one word is quantitatively non-existence to the power and the infinity of our potential, right? So, what we want to do here is that now we're going to add a qualitative difference to um, this idea and this concept. so the deep core has no words, right? so you can you can't even you can't measure it, right? the world in in relation to the deep core is, is like there are no words. So the world compared to Hashem is like insignificant, just like our world words are compared to our deep core insignificant. The, wor- the world is insignificant to God, right? Because obviously the world is an expression and is so much so much more limited than God Himself. But Hashem, it, it's both qualitatively and quantitatively. Are null and vo- the world is null and void to Hashem himself, right? So, how? And if that's the case, that the universe is sustained by Hashem's word, right? It's certain if the universe is sustained by Hashem's word, then it's certainly null and void because we already know that speech is not even human speech is null and void. How much more so Hashem's speech is null and void, right? Like it's it's it, it only makes sense. So, of course, in Tanya, like, we're gonna, we're gonna have, we're gonna have a question, right? And the question is the validity of this comparison. So here we go. Here we spent almost a whole chapter, the beginning of last chapter, the half of this chapter, explaining how We compare human speech to divine speech. And just like human speech is null and void to our deep core, so too is the world null and void to Hashem because the world is sustained through speech. And obviously, if our speech is insignificant to our deep core, the world is insignificant to Hashem. But we have a problem. How is this um, a valid comparison? How are we comparing? Human speech a divine speech. Hashem's attributes are not like ours, right? So the, the basis of this comparison doesn't feel appropriate because we're, we're, we're comparing our speech to Hashem's speech, right? And what's, what, how do we know that human speech is so different than godly speech? Because human speech, when we speak, we use breath to speak, correct? So when the breath that we're using to speak, when it leaves our mouth is a separate entity. You can qualify it, you can quantify it. Our speech is actually separate from us. When we speak, we are, once the speech leaves our mouth, it is not part of us anymore, right? So, um, so while speech originates deep within our psyche, Right? It originates deep within our core. The origin, the source of speech is, is very much one with us, right? We, we said have a deep core. It's part of us. It's not, it's not even a separate existence. But so, even though the origin of speech is part of us, once we actually are speaking, the speech is a separate entity. It is not part of us anymore. But this is obviously not the case with Hashem. Hashem's speech does not leave him because Hashem is everywhere. So when Hashem speaks, it is not a separate entity. So Hashem's speech is not like our, obviously not like our speech and thoughts. So why, you with me so far? Any questions? So why does Hash, why does the Torah refer to Hashem's speech, quote unquote, as, and how the world was made? Right? There's such a fundamental difference between our speech and god's speech so why are we even using speech as a comparison when when we speak it is a speech is a separate entity from who, from us and when god speaks it's not so what is why so what is so why are we using this analogy and we're using this analogy because there is something that's similar about speech in general whether it's divine speech or human speech what is that and this is was was very, very fascinating to me because I've never actually thought about looking at speech this way. But then when you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, obviously. But what, what is the similarity between a divine, divine speech and, and human speech? They're both acting as a disclosure, okay? Speech, basically, when we, when we speak, a person discloses something that was previously hidden, right? And basically you're revealing some of your concealed thoughts, right? Like I never looked at speech that way. Like speech isn't, we always look at it speech as an expression, but speech is actually revealing something that the other person you're speaking to previously did not know. Right? Even if you're telling them something they know, you're telling them your thoughts, your, inner, your ideas, your desires, your wants, right? So you're reve- it's a disclosure. Speech is a disclosure revealing something that someone previously did, was, did, not, was not, did not have access to. Whether they knew it or not is, is debatable, but they didn't have access to your speech before you revealed it, right? So the same is true for Hashem. Hashem, we're using the word speech because Hashem is disclosing something that's previously hidden. What is that? When light and energy emerge from Hashem, it's an act of concealment going to disclosure. So so basically when Hashem is creating the worlds, what is that? It is an disclosure of energy and light of God that was previously concealed. Okay. You're with me. So that is an act of divine speech. So divine speech is basically what we're saying is Hashem's energy being revealed and disclosed that was previously hidden. So in order for Hashem to create the worlds, he had to Reveal something of himself. He had to disclose something of himself in order for the worlds to exist. Now, we are going to talk about Hashem's constriction in revealing the worlds, right? But to us, this is a revelation, right? In order for us to exist, in order for the worlds to exist, Hashem had to speak. He had to disclose something that was previously concealed. So that is why we are using speech as a metaphor. So not to indicate, you know, the fact that speech is separate from God, even though human speech is separate from God, divine speech is not separate from God. We're using the metaphor of speech to indicate divine disclosure. So just like we disclose something that was previously hidden when we speak, God is when he is speaking, when he's creating the world, it's a metaphor for divine disclosure. Okay? You're with me so far? Any questions? Okay. So, and that is the exact process that is signified by the 10 verbal utterances through which the world was created, right? So we know the world was created through speech, through 10 utterances. This is the exact analogy, right? So, so, human so yes human speech and divine speech share the property of disclosure but hashem differs in the respect that they are the are always totally united when hashem is speaking and disclosing of himself it's still a part of himself it is not a separate entity as is with human speech okay so how how are we to imagine Hashem's speech when it's nothing like ours? How are we supposed to reconcile this idea that yes, speech is a divine disclosure. Hashem is disclosing some, something of himself that was previously not, was concealed. And that's how the worlds are able to be created. But it's still not separate from him, right? It's, it's, it's an expression of him, but it's not, but it's still one and separate from him. It's very hard for us to understand this concept because our speech is nothing like that. When we speak, once the words, once the words leave our mouth, they're a completely separate entity. So um, so how, how, do we, how do we try to understand this to the best of our ability? So here's where we're going back to our deep core. Hashem, I think it helps us relate to it a little bit more if we can understand how we work, right? So Hashem's speech is like our um, pre-linguistic source of speech and thought, right? So it exists in the potential, right? Like a craving, it exists in the potential, but until it goes to the brain, it doesn't have any um, tangible qualities, okay? So if you were to compare Hashem's speech Basically, what we have to do is compare Hashem's divine speech to our ability to speak, not our speech, but our source of our speech. Do you get what I'm saying? I'll repeat. We are comparing Hashem's speech, which is uh, divine revelation, right? We're comparing that not to our actual speech. We're comparing that to our source of speech, because our source of speech is still one with us, right? Our source of speech, remember we said, comes from our deep core. Our deep core is the 10 powers of our soul. The 10 powers of our soul have no tangible qualities until it's expressed through thought, speech, and action. So Hashem's speech that he created the world with, the 10 utterances that he created the world with, is compared to, in order to understand how it's still one with him, Compared to our 10 powers, our source, because that, that's still one with us. So we're not comparing Hashem's speech to our actual speech. We're comparing Hashem's speech to our source and ability to speak. And that's still very, very much enmeshed and one with us. And, ju- and that is saying Hashem, Hashem's speech is still very much enmeshed and one with him. So yes, even though our actual speech is not like that, but our source, our deep core is like that. Our deep core is totally one with us. So too is Hashem's speech is totally one with him as our deep core is one with us. Okay, one second, here's a question. So writing is a form of speech. If no one reads it, is it separate from our deep core? Absolutely, because it doesn't matter if anyone is reading it or not, you still put it out there still tangible, right? It's a tangible thing. So whether someone read it or not, it's still a tangible thing. And I actually love that you brought up the idea of writing because we are going to bring that out at the end of the class. We're going to talk about that more. But absolutely, once you express something, like even if you, you know, like, you know how the, the statement, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, did it really fall, right? Like, um, Yes. Like you can all, you can. I'm sure all of us have experienced talking to ourselves, right? Like you go about your day, you're talking yourself. You're going, you know, you're you're um, talking through your tasks, right? Just because no one's here to hear it doesn't mean that speech isn't entering the universe and has a and has a uh, a form, right? You can measure the breath that leaves your mouth. You can measure that. It actually is a formation. So the piece of paper, the words that you're writing, those are tangible, whether they're being read by somebody else or not. Okay. So um, the precursor of human speech, right, which is in our, the yearning of our heart is an example of that, remains totally united with the person. Okay. It only emerges as a separate entity when it takes the form of language. Okay. And thoughts don't get knocked off by that thoughts are still a form of language. Okay. Um, so we only, it only becomes a separate entity when it forms into language, when it's still a deep desire or in a deep core and it has no, um, tangible qualities, it's completely united with us. It's part of who we are, right? That's why when you, um, I think we've mentioned this before, but when you want to get to know someone right, and who they really are, you want to get to know what they want, right? Not what they do, right? Not how they act, right? If you want to really get to know someone, you want to understand how they think, what they want, what their desires are. That's how you get to know someone's true person, because that's still one with us. Once it turns into speech and action, that's separate from us. We can, and we know this because we can act in a way that we don't truly believe, right? It's easy. We can betray ourselves with our actions and vice versa. We can, we can have actions that are really, really great, but our desires haven't caught up to that yet, which is why we are in the path of meditation, right? We constantly want our emotions to catch up with our actions, but it's very, 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 I mean, we do it all the time. Our actions very, very often do not reflect who we are right? Because that's separate from us. But go into the deep, intrinsic core of who we are, right? Our deep desires, our 10 powers, that is still very much united with us. And that is one with us. And that is what we're saying that Hashem's divine speech, that's what we're comparing it to this extremely united sense of, of who we are. So Hashem's expression of the world, even though to us, it seems like a separate entity an expression to Hashem, it's his deepest desire. Hashem's deepest desire is to have a world. So the fact that he made the world happen and we and we view it as a separate entity is that's our perception. But according to Hashem, it's still it's part of him. It's one with him. It's who he is. Okay? We're going to we're going to get into that a little bit more in a minute. Okay? So um So what does this add to the discussion? So in last chapter, we are saying that speech has no significance compared to its source. Okay. And then we went on this whole tangent, not really a tangent, but like even going deeper than that and saying how it's not Hashem's speech is really one with him. It's not only that it doesn't have significance. What are we saying here? What are we adding here? We're saying that it's very different for something to have comparatively no significance. Like when we say one word comparatively has no significance to the power of words, right? It's very different than saying that something has no independent existence at all. Right? So what we're saying here is that when we, um, compared speech, our speech to Hashem's speech, we might think that we're saying just like one word has no significance to our to the source of words, so too the world has no significance compared to Hashem. That's a very easy direction of thinking, right? Because that's what we're saying. But we, that's actually not what we're saying. That's why we had to go deeper. What we're saying is that the world doesn't have a separate existence at all to begin with. It's not just that the world compared to Hashem is insignificant, right? That would still imply a separate existence. When you say something is insignificant to something else, you're implying that it has a separate existence. But we're not saying that. We're saying the world is not separate from Hashem. We're saying the world has no separate existence from Hashem. So that's why we have to go a little deeper because if we just left it as a speech comparison, we would go on thinking that the world exists, right? As a separate entity, it's just comparatively to Hashem, it's insignificant. But that's not what we're saying. We're saying the world doesn't exist independently. Just like our source of speech is one with us, our 10 soul powers are one with us, so too the world is one with Hashem to that extent. It's not a separate existence. Are you with me on the on what we're saying here? We understand why we have to go a little deeper. We are not saying that the world is a separate existence, just comparatively insignificant, right? We're saying that, no, the world doesn't have a separate existence to begin with. It is part of Hashem, part and parcel of Hashem, just like our, our deep core is part and parcel with who we are. The world is part and parcel of who Hashem is, okay? So- we're left with a question and a very obvious question. We are—we just brought many, many different ways and understanding of how the world is one with Hashem, not um, separate existence, right? And without Hashem powering the world, it would cease to exist, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, okay, let's say, um, um, see you soon. Um, but, let, but now we have a question. The question is, um, do we exist or do we not? Right? Like, we have a very serious question now. Um, if our existence is not separate from Hashem, why does it seem that way? And how do we reconcile this? We spent so much time saying how the world doesn't exist outside of Hashem, but here we are living this world feeling very separate, right? So how, how do we how do we understand this? How do we reconcile this? How do we come to terms with this idea, OK? So um, this is where we're going to have to introduce another Hasidic concept, which is a very, very, very integral part of Hasidis, which we're going to just touch upon here Uh, enough to help us understand what we're trying to understand but just know this concept is again can be delved into and talked to so much more this is why i hesitated a little bit on going into each of these chapters um, separately instead of doing them as a big chunk because sometimes it's just it could be very overwhelming but i think we can handle it and we're going to learn this concept in a way that helps us understand the, the non-duality of Hashem. And this concept that we're introducing right now is a concept of Timtum. okay? who have who here has heard of Timtum? Timtum is the diminishment of Hashem's light. It is concealment. It is suppression. okay? That is a definition of Timtum. okay? So we in order for us to understand how we, perceive existence in this world and how to Hashem it's all one, we need to understand the concept of Tzimtzum, how this world even came to be. We're we're busy talking about the world, whether it exists, whether it doesn't exist, whether it's significant or insignificant. How did this world even come to be? Okay, we know Hashem uttered it, but, and we know Hashem by uttering it is, is revealing something in this world, but like, how? How did Hashem's infinite light get to be this finite world, right? We're missing a step here. And this is where we're bringing this step in, okay? So Tim is um, creation's perspective. Basically, Tzimtzum is the diminishment of light. So what is that? The creation's perspective came about by a rung-to-rung degradation of Hashem's light, okay? What happens, and then through cause and effect, chain, sorry, let me start again. Creation's perspective, we exist. How, the perspective of us existing comes about with this idea that there's a degradation of Hashem's light, kind of like a ladder, right? A rung to rung degradation of Hashem's light. And through this cause and effect, chain creates the spiritual worlds, which then creates our worlds. Okay. So basically there's this spiritual concealment. There's a spiritual, um, diminishment of Hashem's light that comes through a chain-like effect. Okay. I always imagine symptoms, as you know, those like, um, link chains that you hang in your sukkah you know, like they, the links. So that's how I want you to imagine symptom. Okay. There's this ain't so there's infinite light all the way up here and through this chain, like journey, the light is diminished to the point where this world perceives existence. So we have all these spiritual worlds, right? And each spiritual world connects to the next spiritual world. And through each spiritual world, Hashem's light is getting more diminished and more diminished, right? Does that make sense? Until it's diminished enough that we perceive existence. Okay? So to make room for the world, Hashem had to diminish himself. He had to almost like curl up inside of himself to make room for otherness, all right? This is the act of symptom. When there is room for something like us to perceive existence, that is symptom. That is Hashem diminishing his light, enough to make room for, for this concept of us, okay? We only have an independent mind We only can think independently because Hashem concealed himself enough to make that happen. If Hashem were to, at any given moment, reveal himself completely, our independent mind would cease to exist. We would be reabsorbed by God himself. Okay. So how does, so are you with me so far? Okay, we're introducing this concept of symptom because we need to understand how this world, how we can even perceive existence. Remember the question. The question is, we're learning all the different ways that Hashem, that the world is, doesn't exist separately from Hashem, but we feel very separate. So how does that work? And then we're explaining that the reason why we can perceive existence is because Hashem has concealed himself enough through this concept of tzimtzum that makes room for us to have an independent mind and for us to think that we exist, for us to perceive existence. Okay? So how does this take place and how is this effective? Okay? Um, In the Torah, this tzimtzum is referred to as the hiding of Hashem's face, haster panim, it's like the covering up of Hashem's face, right? Um, and it's, And we're hiding Hashem's light and energy, which comes from Hashem's speech. So it should not overly disclose in a way that the world can't contain independent consciousness. Okay. So what we're saying is here is that Hashem reveals himself through speech because speech is very limiting, right? Speech is an act of symptom and Hashem reveals himself in a way that allows the world to still believe it has an independent consciousness. Um, And it's I love this part because this is like, you know, the aha moments. Speech is a perfect analogy. Why? Because speech is a vehicle for communication. And at the same time, at the same time is concealment, right? It's both at the same time. Because what happens is that when we speak, we reveal an idea. Um, but at the same time, we, it's limiting, right? We, the inherent limitation of language is that the same words that can reveal can also confuse and conceal, right? So remember we said before, speech is a, is a expression of, of revelation, but it's also concealment because we, remember, first of all, when we're speaking, we're limiting our our it's a diminishment of what are actually are thinking. And how many times, just take a practical example. How many times do we say something? We say, oh no, we actually, we didn't mean that. We didn't mean it that way, right? Because speech, as much as it's revealing, it's also can be very concealing and very containing and very limiting and concealing. So this is why speech is the perfect way to explain Hashem in this world. Speech, Hashem... It creates this world through speech because it's obviously a revelation, but at the same time, it's a concealment. Hashem is not revealing to you every single part of him. Because that would, what would happen? That would not leave room for us to to have an independent consciousness and an independent existence. So as much as speech is revealing, it's also very concealing. Right? So um that's why it appears to the creation that, that the life force of Hashem that is enmeshed within them can appear separate, right? That's why even though we are not existing outside of Hashem, it allows us to feel separate because of the concealment, because of the symptom, because of the diminishment of Hashem's light made room for us enough that we can live in this world thinking that we're independent creations, that we're independent outside of Hashem. Yeah? So, um, but from Hashem's perspective, There's no concealment. Hashem's perspective, it's all one and the same. And this is where I want to bring the example of simplifying a complex theory, right? Let's say you're a professor and you want to give over a really complex idea and thought. And you write a paper about it, right? You write an essay and you take a very, very complex thought that allows the lay person to understand what you're thinking. So obviously that information is very diluted, right? You're taking a very, very intense, complex thought, you're diluting it to the point where somebody else who doesn't have the brain capacity as you do can understand it, right? You're with me? So, but to the professor, when he reads that essay, When he's reading that essay, he knows all the back stuff that goes with it. He knows the real concept and the real thought. So to him, the essay is not a concealment. To him, that essay is actually exactly what he is. But to the person reading it, it's a very much diluted version of the essay or else we wouldn't be able to understand it. So to Hashem, the world is just as much part of him as anything else. But to us, the world is a very, very diluted version of Hashem, which allows us to to exist independently and have independent thought because it's diluted. But to Hashem, Hashem's perspective, it's not diluted at all. When he sees the world, he sees himself. When he sees the world, when he sees us, he sees himself. He sees an extension of himself. When we see the world, we see separateness because we don't. Un- we we're not we're not able to to um, to process any different. Okay. So for Hashem, for Hashem, Tzimtzum hides nothing. For us, it's everything. For us, it's everything. It's the ability for us to to go on with our lives thinking that we exist. To Hashem, it's nothing. To Hashem, when he sees us, he sees him. Okay? So another good example of this is like a snail, right? Whose like shell is a part of his body. Right? So um, that's how Hashem perceived Simpsom. Like the snail can hide, it's a perfect example because the snail can hide himself in his shell, right, and then we don't see, you know, we see the shell, not the snail. But to Hashem, symptom is part of him. To the, sna- to the snail, the, the shell is part of who he is. It's part of his body. It's who he is. But to the outside world, the snail can hide himself in it, right? The snail can hide himself in his shell, and we don't see the snail. We see the shell. To ha- but to the snail, it's one and the same. This shell is him. Yeah? Okay. So we, ha- we covered a lot. It's almost time. I want to still have a time for a quick meditation. But to wrap up, is the, world, is the world's existence real or not? Okay? Like, bottom line, Tanya, like, is the world, does the world exist or does it not? And um, the answer is going to be paradoxical. Why? Just like Tzimtzum is paradoxical, right? Tzimtzum to Hashem is one thing and to us is another thing. So the answer to this question is going to be paradoxical and we're going to have to be okay enough to know that dual things are existing at the same time. So what's the paradox? On the one hand, Hashem hides his presence to make the world possible. And in that sense, the world is not real because it only exists due to the false perception of Hashem's um, overwhelming presence being diminished. Okay, so on the one hand, no, the world doesn't exist because it only exists because it's, it's Hashem's diminishment and it really actually, Hashem, it's really not existing. It's just Hashem diminishing himself to make us feel that we exist, but to Hashem, it's really not existing. On the other hand, and this is, a word, this is from the Tammak Tadek, which I love because it, it really helps. On the other hand, the hiding of Hashem, the hiding of Hashem's presence was carried out by Hashem. It was an act that was carried out by Hashem himself. So it has to be real. It has to be real. So if Hashem actually went through the act of Timtom, to create this world, the world has to be real. So when we combine these two ideas, what does it look like? Okay, I'm gonna leave you with, hopefully, a a well-rounded summary of what we're trying to say. It looks like this. I actually wanna see for a second. Okay, I wanna take it straight from here to make it really, really clear. If we combine these two points together, the conclusion is that in his presence, everything is considered like zero. The independent world that we see is of zero validity because it only arises from a false perception, okay? But the world is not actually zero. It is only like zero because the force which maintains our perspective of symptom is real. Okay, this is like, I had to read this many, many times. And even still, I'm kind of like, huh? But we need to contemplate and think about it. What we're saying is that in Hashem's presence, everything is like it doesn't exist, right? Because it only exists through false perception on our part right but it can't actually be zero because the force which maintains our perspective the force that allows us to believe we exist which is what what's the force that allows us to think we exist is symptom symptom is real so if symptom is real we have to be real okay any questions What is making sense? What is not making sense? Listen, I I undertook doing these chapters. Like a lot of people like Shays Taub does not do these chapters separately. He does 18 to 26 together to give you a general brief idea of how to create emotions quickly, right? That's because that's the bottom line. For some reason, I thought that I'm going to do chapter by chapter because I think in the end, these concepts are very powerful. So we might not understand and grasp them all, but... The bits and pieces that we're getting, I feel are super powerful. So for me, for example, the idea of understanding the paradox of speech, right? Understanding how speech is revealing and concealing at the same time, which actually teaches us what symptom is, that symptom is revealing and concealing at the same time is mind-blowing. And that actually, that philosophical concept has the ability to change the way we look at the world in a practical way. Right? So, so bottom line, what I want you to go away with is understanding that we are one with Hashem. We perceive our existence because Hashem wanted it that way. We perceive our existence because Hashem um, diminished himself enough that we can perceive existence. How did he diminish himself? Through symptom. So if symptom exists, and we're saying that it does, exists. If symptom exists, then we exist. right? Because what's the point of symptom existing if the, if the end result of symptom isn't real? Right? But Hashem's perspective, symptom is one with him, just like everything else is one with him. Just like the shell of the snail is one with him, is one with the snail, even though the snail can hide himself in it. The snail can hide himself in the shell, but to the snail, the shell is part of him right? The snail's not hiding himself from himself. When the snail's in the shell, he's cozy, comfortable in the shell, but he's not hiding himself from himself. He's hiding himself from us. So that's how we have to view Hashem in the world. When Hashem is hiding himself from us, it is real. It exists. Symptom is real. We exist. We perceive our existence because Hashem is hiding himself from us. <clears throat> but to Hashem... When he looks at us, he sees himself. Because he's hiding himself in himself. He's hiding himself in himself. He's hiding himself in the shell. Okay, like I think that's so cool. And I feel like that is what makes this relatable. Because even though we can't understand the concept of the non-duality of Hashem to its whole degree, we could understand the fact that we perceive something in one way because Hashem created it that way and Hashem perceives it another way. And I think also another point is so, so empowering is that we, we go through our life thinking that we're a separate existence from Hashem, but how comforting is it to know that when Hashem looks at us, he sees himself. That's like a warm blanket you know, surrounding you. So when you're struggling and you don't see Hashem in your life at all, and you're walking around this world as a separate existence, but you now know the concept that Hashem isn't hiding himself from himself. When he looks at us, he sees himself. I feel like that's like a warm hug. And that's why, although these concepts are very deep and very philosophical and we're only touching the surface of them, I still think they're practical to understand and to learn. Okay, I know I'm going over time. Do we want to skip meditation or do we want to do something really quick just to like, you know, bring it all home? But I don't want to, I don't want to take your time if it's not something that you can do. Yes, no? <clears throat> Should we do really something really fast, one minute? Okay. Huh. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Okay. I know that this was very intense. I want you to focus on your breathing. And at the same time, just try to pinpoint in your body, if you're holding any tension or like intense stress or confusion or any uncomfortable feelings that you might be feeling inside, visualize where you're holding that inside your body. Cause for everybody that's different. And then when you can find that spot, is it your shoulders, your gut, your neck, your forehead? I want you to envision a really bright, warm light, shining super strong onto that area and melting any stress that you might have accumulated in your body. I hope you can visualize this just warm light, melting any stress, which allows your body to relax. And we don't have enough time to like really get relaxed. But when we're in a more relaxed state, we can now allow our mind to think about a few things that I want you to go home with. Okay. What I want you to leave home with <clears throat> is this. The process of simsum creation introduced not a separate existence from God, but another perspective, okay? To our eyes, it appears that Hashem has made a separate world and endowed us with separate consciousness. But from his perspective, we are merely something that happens within God. So we talked about speech and we talked about our, our physical speech and divine speech. All that was leading to this point. I'm going to read it one more time because this is what I really want you to contemplate. The process of Tsimtzum is not a separate existence. Introduce the concept that we're not a separate existence from Hashem, but another perspective. To our eyes, it appears that Hashem has made a separate world and endowed us with separate consciousness. But from his perspective, we are merely something that happens within God. So we happen. We are happening. We do exist. We just exist within God. And that is very powerful. So slowly bring your attention back to your breath. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Bring yourself back to sight, sounds, sensations around you. And when you're ready, gently open your eyes. Okay. So I'm sorry. Meditation was a little rushed today, um, but we had a lot to cover. Um, okay. Any questions? Did Are you like, obviously, like we said, we're never gonna understand this completely, but did anything leave you feeling really confused or you need clarification on? Okay, a few things in the comment box here. So Barbara, this week we're reading about trelas, which arguably comes from the type of snail. So the color is hiding inside, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. It's very interesting to me. We're always being told that we are a child of Hashem. Whereas according to the class today, we are rather a part of Hashem. Yes, exactly. We are a piece of Hashem. This is what I want you to go home with. You are a piece of Hashem. We exist. Yes, we exist. We exist within Hashem, not as separate from him. Okay. Anything else? All right. Thank you guys so much. I still want to hear from, I I had two response is about summer. Um, email me, Instagram me, text me. I want to hear your thoughts. Okay. I need to hear your thoughts on what you think about summer. Cause I've got to make a decision very quick, very soon. Um, thank you guys so much and, um, have an awesome, awesome week.